What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Comet ML Open Office Hours, powered by the Artist of Data Science. It is Sunday, July 4th. Happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day to all the Americans out there. I am American by nationality, you know, born and raised in America, but I've been in Canada for the last several years, seven years or so. And we uh, celebrated Canada Day just a couple of days ago on July 1st. So that's been, that's been good. Had a super long weekend, been pretty much on vacation for like four days. This is great. Very, very awesome. Well, happy to have all you guys here. Shout out to, uh, to Christoph and, and Marin for joining in. If anybody else wants to join in, you can do so by following the link in the description of this chat. If you guys got questions on LinkedIn, on Twitter, sorry, LinkedIn, Twitch, or YouTube, let me know right there. And I will be sure to get you guys in on the, uh, on, on the session. We'll, we'll, answer you know whatever questions we, we can also guys uh be sure to um check out the episode i released on my podcast earlier uh this week is on friday actually i did an episode with dr jordan ellenberg he is the author of a book called shape which i have laying around here somewhere i'm going to be giving a copy of that book away uh so all you got to do is share this stream right here on linkedin um, and then you'll have an opportunity to get in in uh in on this free giveaway um but yeah man super excited to have all you guys here christoph man good to see you again marin good to see you uh adam is in the building as well if anybody else has uh you know anybody else wants to join in wherever you are there's a link right there in the description to come and join us christoph man what you been up to <clears throat> sorry i'm using my mobile right now for the first time so um hope you can hear me yeah, yeah. Uh, i got married <laughs> So, oh, you got um, married. Is that what you said? I thought you said hello, Marin. Oh, well, yeah. congratulations, man. That's awesome. Thank you. Congrats. Yeah, dude. <laughs> that's, that's cool, man. It, it was cool, really. So oh. I took a few weeks off and I'm I'm back here right now. Nice. Well, welcome to the uh, welcome to the married club, man. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, man. Uh so man, I've been I've been really uh I've been thinking about what to study next in, in data science. And one thing that I've been putting off for a while has been uh, NLP, natural language processing stuff. So I think partially inspired by uh, Christoph here, because I know you've been going in on, on NLP. And I know Marin was talking about going in on NLP. And I figured, dude, I sit on so much so much data for my you know, transcripts from my podcast. There's so much text data that I have. Um, I should do something with it, right? I should see what I can, what I can get going with that. So I've been doing a picked up this book called Applied Natural Language Processing for the Enterprise. It was a O'Reilly book and it was, uh, I think it was David Knickerbocker who had shared it on LinkedIn and I started going through it and I was like, oh man, it's a pretty good, pretty good book. Um, so I enjoyed checking that out. So been slowly making my way through that book over the last week or so. I'm really enjoying it. What have you been using to, uh, to learn NLP, Christoph? So how, how did you start on your NLP journey? Um, I'm coming to you for advice on how to study this stuff. Uh, so um, my my first thing was as always uh, this book. So this is where I started everything, and this is where I learned about NLP. And it was also the time when I was just um, trying to figure out what uh, what I'd like to do in machine learning. And um, I just found a couple of online courses on Udemy, and I went through <clears throat> two of them. One of them was about TensorFlow 2.0, and the other one was Advanced NLP. 
from a guy called Lazy Programmer, I think. Oh, I've heard of him, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's how I started. And then I had some breaks. And in February this year, I just discovered this spacey library. And that's when I got got into it again. But I'm I'm still going through. I mean, I don't have like resources that I, I go to every time. It's like a lot of Google and reading yeah. stuff. And yeah. so like that. Yeah, the book I'm using, it's uh, they're heavy on spacey and hugging face. And so it's been cool. Mm -hmm. They're working. It's a lot of work with uh, pre-trained models. So it's all about taking the pre-trained model, how to fine tune it using transformers and things like that. Because mm -hmm. um, like, dude, like I have so much text data from from the podcast and doing the transcriptions and all that. Um, and there's got to be something I could do that's fun and interesting with all of that data. So I'm excited to learn a bit more about NLP and get going on that. Um, shout out to everybody else joining us. What's up, Adam? What's up, Rima? What's up, uh, Raja? Um, if you guys have questions on anything whatsoever, please, by all means, go for it. Um, and if you guys have questions that are viewing on LinkedIn, on Twitch, or on YouTube, uh, let me know. I'm keeping an eye out on all of those chats. Yeah. I, hi, my name is Adam. I have a quick question. Um, so yeah, so I am in the process of um, working with a team here doing a Kaggle competition for the COVID um, x-ray competition. Mm -hmm. and, and so Nico from Common ML, I don't know if you know him, but he was gracious enough to give my team and I a, uh, um, access to um, participate uh, using the, your, the, the tool, CommonML, uh, for the, the Kaggle competition for free. So that was awesome, awesome of, of those guys, right? Yeah. So I'm um, going through the process of trying to use um, the tool and along while trying to learn machine learning at the same time, right, and mm -hmm. um, deep learning. So specifically, we're trying to train these models um, to do object detection of the x-ray and, um, you know, to determine to classify between uh, COVID or no COVID. And then um, in addition to that, um, being able to train the models to build and um, uh, predict bounding boxes on the data as well. Mm -hmm. So um, so this is all new to me. I basically took this Kaggle competition to basically try to sharpen my machine learning skills. And so, um, I was just curious if everybody and if anybody out there has any words of wisdoms of how to drive uh, the common ML tool in a way that you can optimize um, the hyperparameters. Because now I'm in, the, I'm getting into the realm of um, analyzing, you know, the model and then trying to train the model. And um, I was just wondering if there's any some pro tips if anybody's experienced with that um, on how to you know, approach optimization of the hyperparameters, basically. And I've done a lot of reading about it. And I'm just curious what other people thought. I think Comet ML has a lot of great tutorials available on their website as well. Um, so, I mean, first of all, dude, that's a really interesting project, especially like as your first project for, for a machine. Yeah, right. class. That's like jumping off the deep end, man. That's crazy. Uh, but as long as you're going to have fun and enjoy doing yes. it, uh, by all means, go for it. Um, but yeah, Comet's tool is really cool. Um, so just full disclaimer, I don't work at Comet or for Comet. I just uh, helping them out, building their community and doing stuff like that. Um, so they've got some pretty decent tutorials on their website that you can run to look at it. But essentially what Comet does, it allows you to manage and track your experiments. 
Um, so you can look and see how different hyperparameters affect your model metric. Um, and it does that for you really nicely in a clean visual kind of interface. Um, you just add like one or two lines of code and go for it. Um, so they actually had a couple of, um, they had a couple of really interesting, um, Pretty sure they had a computer vision tutorial on here. I'll see if I can dig my hands up on there uh, and and get it out to you. But um, but yeah, like like what what specific question do you have about the hyperparameter tuning? I guess is um, maybe we could start there. Well, I I think I think you know there's there's different ways to do it. There's grid search. There's yeah. um uh there's Bayes Bayesian optimization. Uh, okay. There's random, um and and I think what happens is when you start getting involved here, um, there's so many different parameters that you can manipulate mm -hmm. to try to tweak the model. And sure, learning rate is a good example. Um, you know, looking at their tutorials, uh, you can modify that for the um, optimization parameter, you know, for the learning rate <clears throat> and momentum as well. Um, but I was just curious if other people had any experience with other parameters because um, if you think about all the permutations of parameters you can sweep through, it's, yeah. um, it goes, it's too crazy, right? So yeah. what is really the best bang for the buck? Um, I was just curious if maybe other, if there's yeah. other parameters to look out for. It's so general and every model is very specific. So yeah, it's yeah. not like one size fits all, but I just mm -hmm. thought I, since it was office hours, I'd just throw this out there and yeah. maybe see if anybody thought of it, anything. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so uh, in terms of like, search methods i think definitely go for don't don't go for grid search because i'll take forever right maybe randomized search bayesian optimization i think there's one called hyper opt as well those are uh tuning algorithms for hyperparameters but in terms of which specific uh hyperparameter you should tune for your uh, object detection model I'm, I'm not too well versed in that maybe i think marin was looking into computer vision problems like that. Were you familiar at all with this? Uh, no, actually, remember I had the question, should I venture into computer vision or NLP? And by the way, I decided NLP. Oh, nice, uh, nice. Co computer yeah. vision just takes too much resources. Mm -hmm. uh, data is always very big uh, and difficult to pull out from different sources. So, yeah. um, just a comment. I thought that HP uh, HyperOp actually is a sort of a Bayesian optimization because I have done it using HGBoost on different stuff, uh, basically with uh, numerical data. Uh, uh, no, no, no experience with the visualization optimization, but I mean the two basic things is as Adam mentioned is learning rate and batch sizes. Actually, batch size could be important too. Uh, so no, no, no experience in optimizing yeah. so, computer vision uh, models. Yeah, I appreciate that uh, input there. Mary, yeah. Thank you. But thank I think you. as a general strategy, Adam, like what I would recommend if you, I mean, this is a great opportunity for you to take that individual algorithm that you're looking at and really try to explore it and get a deeper understanding of it is just tune one parameter at a time, holding everything else constant to whatever the default values are and just see the impact that tuning that one parameter has on your model outcome, right? And so Comet ML's tool really allows you to do that because of how like visual everything is and how clean everything is laid out. Um, so you might want to take this opportunity to, you know, explore whichever algorithm you're looking at and and go yes. a bit deeper to gain that, that intuition behind how that individual hyperparameter uh, affects your model metric. 
that's great yeah, that's what yeah. i would do I've, I've not done any like object detection or anything like that before um so i'm not too well versed in that yeah but that would be the approach i would take um yeah yeah no that makes sense that. that makes sense um great thank you for uh your uh, guys Adam, feedback yes Adam, just a quick question are you using a pre-built uh, basically CNN or uh, something like ResNet or some of yes. the books? Yeah, the so, so, okay, so yeah, so we're initially, okay, so the goal is to try to uh, take advantage of the YOLO, okay. um, right? Um, that's for the uh, the bounding box um, object detection mechanism or, or the that, that uh, section of the contest. Uh, the other thing that we're trying to do is build like inside yellow you you insert a backbone and you select which model you want to start with and like you said uh dense net was one of the experiments okay yeah, yeah. Um, i'm gonna now for about tuning the uh, computer visualization models synthesis basically yes yes okay. so, so right. i'm still learning about the details of how that's worked under the under the hood um, and again, those actually have their own parameters, right? That you can add to it too, right? So, um, yeah. yeah. So, so I'm going to point you to this reference here. I'll pull it up on the screen here. So these are some of the uh, tutorials and walkthroughs that Comet has regarding, in this case, how to you know debug object detection models. Um, I don't know if you've seen these yet, but these might be really uh, helpful for at least getting started or getting an understanding for, for where you're coming from. Um, okay. So I'll go ahead and I'll link this in the chat. Um, Thank you. Yes. Um, I think, I, think I, may, I may have missed this. I've been scavenging their site, but yes, I, I'll, uh, I think I may have overlooked this one, but thanks yeah. for pointing this out. And sure. There's another one here as well. I'll, I'll link you to it's uh, team comment ML object detection there. looks like this is a, a notebook that you can look through. Um, so I'll go ahead and put that here for you as well. So a couple of things to, uh, to get you on search too bad. that can't be more help for you beyond that, but uh, definitely play around the tool, explore it, um, gain that intuition about each one of those hyperparameters by t tweaking one at a time and seeing what happens. But um, this should help you out uh, to, to really understand how to use Comet for that particular purpose. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Right on, man. Well, good luck. I'm excited to see how this turns out for you, man. It's yeah, I'll let you know. We have about another month to go. We're one nice. month in. And so uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Nice. Right on, dude. Looking forward to, uh, to, to seeing how this works out. All good right. Luck. All right. Uh, shout out to everybody else. We got Rakesh. Uh, and Rima, Marin's in the building as well. Um, looks like there's some questions funneling in through LinkedIn. Um, yeah, so is joining a bootcamp beneficial because it's a lot of money? Should I do for self-learn process? It depends. Are you the type of person who can effectively learn by yourself? If you need more structure and more rigor and you need something that's laid out for you completely, then looks like you can do self-learning on your own. But if you need that guidance, if you need that instruction, if you're the type of person that needs that, then the bootcamp might be beneficial. And there's always the, the aspect of, of this. It's when you invest money into something, you feel more committed to it. You feel like, okay, well, I've paid money, so I should follow through with this. Uh, so there's that benefit to it. Depends on how you want to um, you know, look at that. But um, depends, man. Depends on, on you. Uh, so, yeah, that was, I don't know if that was the same. That was the same, Rakesh. That was... Uh, in the chat asking on LinkedIn. You should just ask right here, man. Uh, go for it, Marin. Uh, I have experience with both. I started with online courses mm -hmm. and maybe it's my personality, but again, online courses for me turned out to be unstructured and very chaotic, very messy. Yeah, I have taken maybe 10 Udemy courses 
on different subjects when I started. I mean, basically, introduction to data science and machine learning, most of them, the initial three, four, and later on different. Uh, the problem is that if you're new to data science, the field is so humongous that it's very easy to get lost. And after one year trying to learn on my own, I decided to join a bootcamp. There are several bootcamps actually that have this sort of agreement for payment. After you get a job, you, you can sign sort of an agreement. I forgot what the name was. Uh, but basically, after you get a job, you pay for the bootcamp. Uh, Springboard, I attended the Springboard Dev Stand Bootcamp and it has the same agreement. I'm on the same agreement. Finish the program. It's originally six months, but there is so much material that they severely underestimate the time that it takes to get through the curriculum. So it took me eight months, actually, close to nine months. I had to take an extension. And I'll tell you, for me at least, it made a big difference because it is structured. Yes, you don't learn everything because you cannot learn everything in six months program, but at least it has a logical flow. It basically, it starts from some point and then it leads you to more evolved and complex subjects. And that helped me. Uh, I can really tell the difference between projects that I did a year ago and my final projects on the bootcamp. It's, it's humongous difference. So uh, my vote goes for bootcamps because they're structured and if you can find a good bootcamp that we can actually have this agreement pay after you get a job, that, that's good. Thank you very much, Marion. So uh, Rakesh, you're in the chat right now. So go ahead and uh, let me know what you're saying, what you're thinking. Uh, well, I found uh, courses in uh, in our country like uh, pay after the placement as the sir said, Marine. So I thought about it. They, they, their curriculum is great one, but uh, uh, it uh, feels me like an insecure kind of because uh, because this course curriculum is just for a nine month period and learning uh, so much humongous syllabus in just a nine month period is is kind of uh, hard for us because since uh, I was in uh, in college there it, it, it's been three years now and uh, still we are learning a lot of theories in this and uh, they are saying like it contains a lot of practical and, and industrial subjects and projects so is it still beneficial for us i mean it depends right depends on what it is you're trying to to do what's your what's your end objective like what what is it that what is it you hope to achieve by going to a boot camp um well uh i was just uh, just wanted to use all this Story that I that I had learned in my college graduation. This is my main objective of this jo joining this boot camps. So I was uh, trying out and uh, just to uh, try to learn all this thing on my own. But I found it uh, very difficult and it's uh, time consuming. Does it effective to uh, do that? I mean, it again, like I said, depends on your personality. Me, for example, me, I could self learn anything. Like I don't, I could just find resources, create a learning plan for myself and just go through it. Right. Um, some people aren't like that. Some people need somebody to like, say, do this, then do this, then do this, then this, this, and this. Right. So if that is you, then it might be beneficial for you to enroll into a boot camp If you have no discipline to keep yourself accountable, to hold yourself accountable, to create a learning pl plan for yourself. Right. Um, otherwise everything's out there, man. Everything's open source and in, in data science, like all the knowledge you need is out there. You just need to be able to to set a plan for yourself. So again, this is highly subjective, right? So in terms of beneficial, that benefits are going to vary per person. 
um like i'm that's why i'm like asking you what your end objective is like what do you want to accomplish by going through a boot camp right if you're hoping that by going through a boot camp all of a sudden this indicates that i'm hireable that i should be able to get a job that's probably not the right rationale because you can spend that time in a boot camp by just building out a project for yourself right um, so what is your end objective that you're trying to to do, Rakesh? Uh, I just want to get hired in, in some multinational company. So then do some projects, right? Do some really well thought out projects that it could be any project that you are interested in. There's not like a magic data set out there that's like, oh my God, if I see this data set, if I work on this, I'm going to get hired. No, that doesn't exist. Hiring managers don't care about what data set that you are working with they care about the way that you approach a problem right the quality of your code the quality of your solution the quality of um, your communication of each step and why you're doing each step right so the biggest thing you could do biggest time investment return on time investment would be doing a project for yourself because you're learning the skills and you're going to be applying the skills and you're building a portfolio so now you're you know, it, it's just like a threefold, a multifold uh, uh, benefit to that. Um, so, I mean, think about what it is that you ultimately want to do. And um, yeah. Uh, but the internet is so humongous. So it's literally hard for us to find a, a good courses for and good platform for us. And uh, I was trying my head with lead code uh, a while back, but. So, uh, like, you're already done with school? Like, what did you study in school? I had studied a bachelor in statistics. Okay, well, you got the baseline fundamentals. You know enough math. So anything you can pick up from there, like, yeah. you can just build on top of that and, and you know, go for it, right? Like, there's not going to be a magic boot camp that's going to just teach you how to be the best data scientist in the world that just doesn't exist, right? So quit chasing the boot camps and just do something uh, is going to be my biggest advice. Uh, so... The time that you spend in a boot camp, just take that time, redirect it towards an actual project, uh, stumble, learn, and you know, growing pains through that project is what you want, right? So, hopefully, that is helpful. Uh, we're going to go ahead and move on from this particular topic. Does anybody else have questions on anything? Uh, shout out to Nisha's in the building. What's up, Rima, Christoph? Um, yeah. Yeah, I can. I can go next. Yeah, um, go for it. Yeah, thank you, Harpy, for hosting um, this the office hours. I really appreciate this chance to get to collaborate and, and kind of um, talk a little bit about what I'm working on um, as well and get some feedback from the community. Um, so currently right now, I'm working on an agritech uh, project right now with the international team. Um, we're utilizing um, some satellite data and we're utilizing um, some sensor data from under the ground as well. Um, and this particular project it's a not-for-profit project. Uh, it's kind of closely linked, politically linked to the farmers' protests and kind of helping out um, uh, in, in that case. Um, and more so what this technology does, it optimizes and saves water, um, especially for drought-affected and developing countries um, like India. Like, you know, it can be scaled for uh, many different climates. Um, so there's, there's a lot of research and development that's being done right now. There's a prototype that's set up in Pune, Maharashtra, where there's an A-B test that we're doing, um, where half of the farm, uh, we're using this technology and, and the other half is the manual farming. Um, and we're seeing, you know, they're, there's, they're optimizing the water by, by more than half. Um, also the crop yield is um, growing two times more. 
So, and it's, it's an automated, uh, it's an automated um, uh, irrigation system, drip irrigation system, basically. And so um, we want to scale this to the West as well. Cause as you go, I don't know if you guys have heard but there's a huge heat, heat wave that's happening in California, in BC, and, and you know, those areas are heavy for agriculture as well. So we wanted to reach out to um, people who are in the industry as well and collect some like market research. So there's like this Google form that I'm trying to um, get around. Um, and I know that you're also from Manitoba um, and around the prairies, I believe there that is also a drought affected area. I don't know what the agriculture is like there, but um, I was just thinking, um, uh, does anyone have any ideas on the agriculture, agritech industry, and and right now, kind of what we're working on? Um, well, I, I'm in the process of creating a prediction algorithm uh, using LSTM um, to basically predict um, when to irrigate next using um, you know all all these different data sources, uh, mainly the sensor data from under the ground. We're actually entering a competition, an Eastern European competition, um, sometime next. Uh, in, in, I think later this month, um, the deadline. So um, it's called Cleopricus Masters, uh, trying to get some investors and, and funding as well. So uh, it's kind of, um, you know, a lot of moving pieces and, and um, just curious if, if anyone has any feedback or questions or anything that can like help help with this. It is non-for-profit. So um, yeah. Yeah, like precision out. precision agriculture is huge. I think that's such an interesting application of machine learning. There's a company that's, based out of Winnipeg called uh, Farmer's Edge. Are you familiar with them at all? Have you heard of them? And they do exactly what you're talking about. And they've got like a whole squad of data scientists and stuff as well. And they're doing exactly the same like type of concept where they're looking at satellite imagery data. And then they have um, sensors for weather around different uh, parts of the mm-hmm. of the uh, the plot of land. And they're just predicting, okay, which area do we need to provide more like irrigation or you know nutrients or whatever to uh, so it's super fascinating. I think that's a really, really interesting idea. I would just look for what your competition <laughs> would be doing, right? So just look at some of the companies that are already in the uh, in the space. Yeah. The, the, Farmer's the, Edge. Yeah. The thing is with this technology, like most of these technologies are really expensive. Um, it's not accessible to small farmers. And that's the issue. A lot of the smaller farmers in these developing countries, they don't have access and they're, you know, um, water is a precious resource that's going to be running out, you know, um, climate change and global warming. This is something that's huge and no one's really, it's, I don't really see a lot of people doing anything about it, um, especially in these developing type of countries. So uh, the, the, this product itself, it, we got it at an extremely low price point. So it is affordable. That is like the main purpose of this. And we're trying to make this affordable and reliable as well. So that reliability factor, that's what we're really working on and on the precision of the algorithms and, and um, the sensors as well. And we took a look, we did like a, a test on um, the satellite data and the sensor data and try to um, look, you know, the soil temperature and the soil moisture. We looked at uh, if there were any discrepancies from the, the sensor system on the ground and um, in, the, in the satellites and it, it lined, it aligned. So, so far, so good. Like the reliability and the accuracy is, is, is pretty good. And then we're taking things one step at a time and it's, um, you know, it's it's getting some recognition, but I just wanted also to see if, if um, uh, yeah, so Farmer's Edge, that's one company that you would suggest to look into. Yeah, they've got, um, so Farmer's Edge is, um, like they just recently went public on the Canadian Stock Exchange. Um, so definitely check them out. And then there's this, actually there's an organization here in Manitoba um, that's based out of Manitoba. It's called the 
uh, enterprise initiative for machine learning and intelligence, and they are heavily focused on um, applying machine learning to farming. Um, and so you can look at all the the partners they have um, lined up with that too. And and th this is a nonprofit board as well. Um, but just take a look at what some of these people are doing, right? Because they'll they'll talk about stuff on their blog post or some of their data scientists might have like written written blog posts or articles that are like tutorial type, right? Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of see what it is that that they're working on and let that kind of inspire what what you're doing. But I think it's like super interesting. Uh, Thank you. Definitely, definitely super interesting and a good cause. Asha has a question here. She wants to know who is the target market? Yeah, the target market would be small farmers. Um, you know, it could be big farmers, but um, right now from what we've seen, a lot of farmers use timer-based irrigation systems not so much like, you know, automated and drip irrigation. Um, and so they still waste a lot of water, even the farmers in the West. Yeah. So, um, so kind of it, our target market is small farmers to start. We're collecting an email database um, right now. So that way, as we have released information, we can do some email marketing. Um, so that's kind of how we're going so far and, and um, just trying to reach out to as many small farmers as possible because I think they will be the most benefited from this um, technology and the price point as well. Yeah, I mean, it's better to, like, if you have limited resources, you don't want to just uniformly use resources on one plot of land. You want to use it strategically on plots, pieces of that land that need whatever resources, right? So rather than just, like, going through and, and spraying, let's say, fertilizer uniformly across the entire a plot of land that you have just focus on the areas that need it you can save yourself money you can save you know resources that way i think it's awesome um great great idea and let me pull this up real quick um just to show you what's going on here um on my screen this is the website for uh, enterprise machine intelligence and learning initiative that's what it's called e-m-i-l-i -I. um and these guys are all about just using um you know machine learning for agriculture. Am I yeah, sure? When we were looking at um, the drought affected areas in Canada, Manitoba and Alberta, they came out um, pretty drought affected. So I, I'm really happy connected with you because I've you would have this info. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think this is super cool. I'd love to work on like a, uh, you know, in a company that does something like that because that's just fascinating. Using You're using like satellite imagery data, sensor data, uh, all sorts of stuff and yeah, using it for a good cause. So I think that, uh, I think Marin might have had a question here for you or a comment or something. Go for it. Actually, I had a question, but they showed it on the screen uh, about the link for the organization. And this was E-M-I-L-L-I. -L -L -I. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I'll great. put a link right here in the chat as well. Yeah, um, thanks. Yeah, it's a great, great idea, great initiative. Um, definitely look into, I guess, some keywords, right? Like uh, would be like precision agriculture type of organizations and, and things like that. And I mean, I would even see if I could find some like projects that people have done let's see if we can find something real quick all right let's see if we do see if we can find any jupiter notebooks all right well here's a couple of uh, uh things that you can look at crop weed semantic segmentation that's interesting stuff uh just in case anybody wants to see what this would look like in action uh i'll put a link right here in the chat and then also share the link on linkedin um yeah, I mean, that's that's cool, man. I, I think you're uh, doing a great thing with that. And look at this crop weed field image data set. You can see what other people have been doing. Um, so I'll link to both of these in uh, in the chat here. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Any other questions or comments for uh, Rima here on her um, awesome initiative? Marin, go for it. 
No, so, sorry, Rima, I uh, didn't mean to hijack your conversation. Uh, if we're done, I had a question because this is really on my mind right now. Uh, does anybody here on, on the meetup have experience with that interviews, coding interviews specifically for data scientists? Yeah. Uh, pretty, standard, uh, pretty standard part of the process. So, Rima, sorry if you think you need more time. Uh, I'll give it to you. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, check out, we would check out these uh, couple of links here. Um, I mean, uh, it might just be interesting just to see what other people are doing. So you can use that to kind of inspire what you're up to, but a uh, great, great idea, great project. I'm looking forward to seeing how this uh, pans out. Yeah, thanks. And feel free to reach out to me if um, you have any more questions or suggestions or, or anything interesting around the, the, the topic. And I'd be more than happy to chat. Awesome. Yeah, sounds good. All right, Marin, go for it. I just ask because it, there is some sort of confusion when you apply for a data scientist position. Usually there is a type of coding interview in a lot of companies. Uh, does somebody have experience with what kind of questions you have on the coding interview? Is it the typical array stuff, searching, sorting, merging, decursion uh, and stuff? so on, or something particularly related to manipulating data frames and stuff. So in my experience for data science job interviews, the coding interviews I've gotten have all been problem solving type of coding interviews, not like um, software engineering type of interviews where you're trying to do like, you know, binary tree or something like that. And, you know, linked list stuff like that. It's for me, it's, it's been mostly um, like problem solving type of questions, which, which you can find on like hacker coder or I'm sorry, hacker code. <laughs> Hacker rank or leaked code, um, those type of questions. I mean, one one thing that I really enjoyed about this, uh, this website here to kind of help get an idea of what problem solving type of questions you might ask, get asked is um, Python principles. And they do this, uh, and this is great just for like, you know, building a little bit of confidence with respect to doing um, uh, coding challenges. They got these challenges here at pythonprinciples.com forward slash challenge. And they got like all these interesting um, interesting types of uh, um, uh, challenges. They're fun. They're fun to do. Another good one is uh, uh, Finkster. Uh, Finkster on YouTube. And on YouTube, he's got uh, these really cool um, series of videos, uh, which I'll pull up as soon as um, this thing loads. And right here in the coding interview. And these are really fun and interesting ones. Um, so things like this, like find the case largest element in an unsorted list, things like that. Um, yeah. So more problem solving types of questions and they're generally pretty fun to do and they're interesting to do. I'll, I'll drop a link right here into the chat for that. Um, that right there is the link to uh, Finkster, his playlist on um, coding interview questions. And the other one was Python principles. So thanks for the place. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're like, in my experience, I'd love to hear what anybody else, uh, anybody else's experience, but for me, they've mostly been just like, uh, just problem solving. Okay. Here's a problem. Let me think through it and let me think through the, the solution, um, and, and how to get there with, um, you know, programmatically, uh, Rima or Nisha or Asha or Christoph in your guys' interview processes, what types of questions have you guys come up with? Um, me, I think, I also have had uh, business case scenario questions. 
to solve a complete business is usually at the end stage of an interview the first couple of them are usually problem solving more more computer science oriented um coding questions there are some some companies that do several levels of coding interviews the first set usually is problem solving though mm-hmm. but i have had some companies that do also a business case that they sometimes i i just feel like they are giving a problem that they are trying to solve through the <laughs> um, through, through the interview candidates yeah because those those sound like they are the, those are problems that they are trying to solve because it says in their website too yeah. we just don't know whether they have already solved it or not they're trying to brainstorm kind of yeah yeah i always that's a good hint actually if you interview for a company that might give you a problem check on their website to see if the solving some problems. Rima, go for it. Um, just doing projects in general and showcasing your projects. And nowadays it's always on Zoom. So you can always share your screen um, and then just show like what kind of projects that you've worked on and that having visuals is, is really good for um, interviews in my, in my case. Yeah, one, more thi- uh, one more thing I've had before from one of the companies is they show their actual SQL and ask us to explain as to what might be going on. Uh, maybe this is just in the healthcare domain. I only apply to healthcare domain jobs, uh, but they show because some uh, they're looking for a specific um, expertise like SQL or a procedural language kind of thing. They just show it and ask you to explain what is going on in there. And sometimes they even ask you what the function does. and if you have really worked with sql you would know it's it's not something difficult but that that's something i've experienced as well yeah it actually brings me to an in- interesting point right because uh so there's kind of different levels of the the interview right obviously first is the hr phone screen but then they'll, they'll have like a text screen itself which might just be 10 questions um just to just to screen people out but then even after and that the, the some one of those 10 questions could be like you know coding challenge-ish type of thing where you're trying to problem solve using programming right and then further along down the process you'll get the take home challenge i think the take home challenge is much more aligned to what nisha's talking about or what rima is talking about as well um so you know you don't get challenged just once you'll have like that screening assessment and then you'll go into the proper take home assignment uh, does that help clarify that marin uh also there's a uh, comment here from Asha Asha's joining us she's on the road uh, but she's chatting right here and she said that uh hers have mostly been code questions but she's also received business case projects too um but a lot of the times it's been timed code challenges and that's in my experience as well you'll have a a timed coding challenge that's like kind of like the screening phase and then you'll get a take home assignment um after that so I'll typically go hr phone screen text screen interview with hiring manager or senior member on the team take home challenge and then another interview or two interviews after that thanks yeah appreciate the help yeah definitely yeah i mean best way to prepare for all that stuff is just um do as many practice problems as possible so go through those couple of links that i'd shared with you like the finkster academy link with all those uh, coding interview questions and then python principles those coding challenges then go to like like leet code and just do a bunch of those type of problems as well Um Thank so you. yeah uh so Rima we have a, a comment coming here from uh, Rodney Beard who says contact him on LinkedIn uh, he has lots of uh, connections in the ag tech space so um there you go Thank you I yeah. will Yeah so Rodney Beard uh, check him out he commented on the video so you can um, get in touch with him Sounds good
Awesome. So there's uh, questions coming in through LinkedIn. Thank you guys for joining us on LinkedIn. Happy to, to have all you guys here. Question coming in from, from Ankit, how ML can be used in account receivable and payables. How about this? How about I just give you the tools for figuring out how to find information like this? And this is how you do this. All right, look, this is all you have to do. You go up here, you go to Google, and then in Google, you type in quote machine learning, and then you can put accounts receivable, right? And then you could see case studies. So you can predict account receivables with machine learning. Um, if I spell it right, you can utilize machine learning to manage accounts receivables, predicting account receivables with machine learning, right? So it looks like it. there are lots of use cases. It's just going to be up to you to research them and find out. Powerful. The internet thing is powerful. How you can look things up and find answers, isn't it? And if you wanted to get even more granular and look for actual code, looks like nobody has done one yet, but um, you can be the first one to do it. Let's see if there's any uh, white papers that we can look at. Um, so there you go. Here's a couple of them. Customer payment prediction, uh, customer level predictive modeling for accounts receivable, uh, so on and so forth. So definitely some good use cases. Uh, I'll leave it up to you as an exercise to go and figure them out. But now you have the tools for how to go look for those. Um, question here, uh, please suggest key points while doing projects or building portfolio to showcase hiring manager and interview to transition to data analyst, data scientist job. Key points while doing projects or building portfolio to showcase hiring manager. I guess you're asking, how do you make a project that will get you hired? Um, so step one, pick an interesting problem. Like, like you have to do something interesting, right? And it has to be specifically interesting to you because if it's interesting to you, then you're going to carry on step by step and put in the work and effort um, for this project, right? If you just pull kind of like a standard project, you know, Titanic data set, for example, it's a great project to learn from and, and understand the machine learning workflow, but ultimately a project that's going to get you hired has to be interesting and unique. And typically those kind of projects are ones that you enjoy doing, right? You want to make sure that you have a very clear repository structure, right? Not, not like one uh, Jupyter notebook with like 378 cells, right? That's nobody wants to scroll through that, right? So have your notebook, I'm um, sorry, have your repository structured, uh, maybe using the cookie cutter data science repository structure and have your notebooks split out, right? So there's a clear entry point, right? Maybe you have a notebook for, um, profiling data, notebook for exploring data, notebook for, um, you know, testing some hypotheses, a notebook for, you know, baseline model, a notebook for, uh, com you know, comparing other models, things like that, right? So that there's a clear entry point, a clear exit point, and it's chunked out. And it's very easy for someone to, like, know where to look if they want to see something in particular, right? Uh, write good, clean code, right? Make good use of functions, make good use of OOP, um, put doc strings in your, in your code. I mean, sorry, in your functions, um, that stuff is important. What else do you want to do for your project? Well, make sure that you have like a write-up or a summary that clearly states what the business problem was, or rather the use case. Make sure your notebook has um, enough color commentary, right? Don't make people guess what it is that you're doing. Just tell us what you're doing. Clearly state it, right? Uh, what else can I say? Another thing you might want to do is make sure that um, make sure that you have labels on all your graphs, right? Label the x-axis, label the y-axis, put a title to the graph, right? Can't believe how many times I've seen graphs that have no labels whatsoever. Um, it just doesn't look professional, right? 
like what a hiring manager wants to see is they want to see a professional quality of work, right? They don't want to see some amateur shit that was put together with zero effort, zero thought, right? Because nobody wants to work with a person like that, right? So do a project that lets people know that, hey, this is somebody that I would want to work with. Look how thoughtful they are. Look how clear they are. Look how detail-oriented they are, right? Be the type of person that somebody wants to work with. Um, any other advice? I'd love to hear from anybody else here uh, on project advice. Uh, Rima, Nisha, Elvis, Asha, Christoph. Otherwise, I just keep ranting. Yeah, um, I can chime in. Um, I think definitely understanding the the what the objectives are and who the target audience of who you're going to present to, uh, because sometimes um, uh, we need to simplify things um, to to relay the results. And then if it's too technical, people usually like it's went through one ear and out the other. So simplifying it and making it clean and easy to look at, I think that's really underrated, but it makes the biggest impact at the end of the day. Absolutely, Nisha. Any uh. Nisha says, have a fun way of telling a story. Nisha, tell us about that. What, what are some tips you can share with us that, um, that can make our storytelling more fun or more engaging or interesting? Um, I have seen fun ways of um, storytelling when we give a business case scenario for when we hire in, within our organization. And it's a very small problem. We don't, uh, our organization, we don't do big, big set of business case problems like private companies. Um, to the it it mostly brings the creativity. It tells about the person's um, level of comfort, asking for help, and at the same time, trying to be um, as communicative as possible in a way. Uh, I don't have a spe- specific use case or that that people have done in my, uh, in mind currently. Top of my head, that doesn't come. But I've been impressed with some of them um, candidates who have. Uh, as a as a person in the hiring committee in my organization. Yeah, and a good way to, to storytell is just like make up a character, right? Like if you're doing like some type of uh, marketing project, right? Just make up like a character that's going through this customer journey, right? And how you've used the data you have to bring this customer to life, so to speak. Um, so hopefully that was helpful. Um, some good tips there for you. Um, I can't see anything else on LinkedIn for questions. Um, shout out to Elvis in the house. Elvis, how's it going? I like that name. Uh, let me know if you have any questions. All right. Any other questions coming in from LinkedIn or YouTube or Twitch? I don't see anything on Twitch or YouTube. Uh, LinkedIn is lagging on me for some reason. Uh, so Rodney Beard's got a bunch of links in there for you as well. Rima is talking about farmlogs.com. Some stuff happening at Olds College in Alberta. Um, saying that Farmlogs just purchased a company called Bushel. So that's pretty pretty interesting. A lot of good information there. Um, all right. Any other questions coming? I don't see nobody on LinkedIn today uh, asking questions. Last week we had a lot of questions. I think, um, I think the holidays got people uh, relaxing. Asha, go for it. Sorry, I might be, you know, quite, I've tried to get the most quietest place I can on the side. Oh, you sound clear, clear, very clear. All right. Um, so I have a question about, I don't know how to put it. Okay. Um, so when you're getting into a role, you have, what would you, you have a company that has a already set up team. It's a bigger company, has a team already set up. You already have a set role you're going to do. But the problem with a company like this is chances are you'll be doing the same thing over and over because you already have 
some a task that will be yours as opposed to a startup where you'll get to learn but there's no team um what what would help you in making a decision between the two I mean, and it like you you're saying you have and you dropped the laptop away Laps. Yeah, you got like two roles in front of you one role is just a large company one startup role has, way a yeah. big corporate way yeah i mean that's a tough question it's going to depend on what it is that you, yeah term, in terms of growth i mean i say the startup way just because you get to do a little bit of everything uh, you get to wear many hats and you'll grow not only in one thing but you'll learn more right you just get a chance to do more and more. Um, whereas like if you're at a big company, you kind of just, like you said, do the same thing over and over, right? It's like the same year experience repeated 10 times over. You know what I mean? So you don't get that variety of, of experience. Um, so personally, if it was me, like I would not want to do a role where I'm just in the same shit over and over. Um, there needs to be some opportunity for me to like switch it up and to test and to iterate. Uh, Christoph, what do you think? Um, I agree with you. I mean, it's very personal. It depends on what you like, because if you want to learn something and learn it very good and repeat it over and over again, so you don't get really challenged at work, I can under, uh, I, I get it. I, I mean, there are different kind of people, but for me, it would be like too boring. <laughs> and so startup way and would be great because of challenges and because and that you have to really stay focused and keep learning to to stay there even i mean to keep your job <laughs> yeah rima what about you what do you think which direction would you go sorry could you repeat the question so asha's saying that she's got a couple of different like opportunities in front of her one opportunity would be to work at a larger company where you'd kind of be doing a set role like your role is clearly defined and you know you're going to be let's say for example the statistics person doing these type of problems in a, in a larger organization but the other opportunity would be like uh, maybe at a startup or maybe a data science team that's starting within a larger company something new um, yeah where... I, definitely if um if you're starting out a startup is awesome because then you get to try a lot of different things um that that's that's if you're i feel like um for me that that's the kind of uh, like in, if you're young in your career, I think that's a good place to start. Um, that's just my advice. Yeah. So Asha, a lot of, a lot of, uh, great viewpoints here. What, what are you feeling like? What, what, what would you want to be doing? You know what I mean? Like that's ultimately you're the one that has to work and put your time in and put your energy and efforts into, into this thing. So what do you want to be doing? I mean, the, the reason I'm thinking it through is because with a startup, again, we don't have the reason I'm saying, um, when you go into a team, you get to meet people with different skills. You tend to learn things that you wouldn't have otherwise. But the problem is with time, it, there's sort of a ceiling on the things you can do. But with a startup, again, there's also the challenges of the company might not be sure exactly what they're hiring. for. Some companies just hire a data analyst and they're not exactly sure. So that might be one of the main yeah. things that has been keeping me awake at night. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely there's some big companies where you, you're you on a team and the team solves a wide variety of problems, right? Um, and and th that's fun because you get, you know, you work on a team, get to learn from each other, and that team itself is maybe deployed throughout the company to solve a number of different problems, right? So um, I guess that's one thing to consider too is within the larger company, how is this team, this data science team structured, right? Is it like a center of excellence model where you've got a group of data scientists who are then sent out on projects every now and then to help the organization 
or is it a data scientist that is embedded within a particular product or project uh, inside the organization that doesn't have too much interaction with all the other data scientists? So you're kind of just working on one particular thing, right? So that's something to consider as well. Um, and then the issues you brought up about working in a startup, yeah, definitely I could I could see that. Um, and the same issues are happening, you know, even if you're like the first data scientist at an organization, like that's not it's not easy to do. I don't recommend it for, for everyone. Um, but, you know, with that situation, I think you just got to be comfortable dealing with ambiguity, right? And you have to be comfortable just doing what needs to be done with your particular skill set to help the company achieve the mission, right? So by going in a startup, I think this, there's a more subtle shift, which is you have to be less me focused and more focused on overall success about, you know, for the organization and for the company. Whereas if you're in a larger company, you can kind of have a little bit of that, that selfishness saying, oh, you know, I kind of want to work on this type of stuff. Uh, but let's hear from Christoph. Uh, just a quick thought about it, because uh, I think it's also important how the team communicates and uh, what the job description says. Because if you're seeing like a job for data scientists and their list of requirements is like everything, like statistics, machine learning, visualization and everything, it means that, that they don't really know what data scientist does and then you can really find a job where your boss or, uh, ex or startup owner expects you to know everything and it's like, hey, you're a data scientist, so that must be easy for you, uh, even if you don't know anything about it. And uh, I think that might be something, I mean, the job description itself might may say a lot about the startup and the culture in this startup. But if, if they have a team and job description is like uh, proper uh, properly um, described, like they do know what, what data scientist is, then I think it would be more fun. I mean, it depends. You, like Harpreet said, you have to know what, what, your, what your goal is, how, how you like it. So yeah. that's it. Yeah, I mean, like... Me as a data scientist, like I, I like working on anything. Like it doesn't matter to me if it's like if, if it's visualizations, if it's statistics, if it's machine learning, if it's data engineering. Like I kind of I love doing all of it, and you know I have fun doing all of it. But if you're like the type of person that's like shit, dude, like I don't want to do any dashboarding, I don't want to do any visualizations. Like obviously, like there's some stuff I like less than than other stuff. Like I, I love statistics more than oh, the rest of data science. Um, and probability more than the rest of the data science, but uh, it's going to yeah, depend on, on you. Asha, hopefully, uh, yes, Marin, go for it. Just quick comments, uh, something to basically going back to you, Katrin. Uh, I had a chat recently with a guy. I used to work back at Intel 10, 15 years ago, and I had a chat with a guy who used to work there too, and he has worked for more than 25 years. So some large organizations and large companies actually encourage you to move from one department to another or from one project to, to another. So being in a large company doesn't mean that you cannot learn new things or work on new things. It very much depends on the company. There are different examples. I heard from a person uh, in a different company, don't want to mention the name of the company, uh, that he felt work for Three, four years, he felt like a hamster, basically put in a small box and turning its wheel, and that's all he does. Just one. So it again going back to the question, it very much depends on the company, the culture in the company, and what their policies of 
how people should be working on, what they should be working on. Uh, basically going to a startup, there are different opinions. I, it's again depending on the stage of the startup. If it's a very early startup, uh, don't have experience with, I mean, I have experience in a different different startup, different technology. Uh, but basically, if the startup is only a few people, they would be hiring a very, very experienced data scientist. Somebody who is a rock star and can help them get off the ground. If the startup is already past the stage of 10 people and they're looking for more like role players, then it could be, if you're new to data science, it could be a good company to join. But be careful with whether the stages because they expect you to, to basically do rocket science. Excellent point. Thank you very much, uh, Marin. So Asha, hopefully that was helpful. Hopefully that helped you in your decision. Thank you, Thank you so much. Uh, we didn't just confuse you more, I hope. <laughs> Hello. Thank you. Yeah. All right. There's a question coming here from LinkedIn. Uh, is there any startup company or sources to provide real-time projects to implement my ideas or models? I'm a programmer and started learning data science. Is there any way to get real-time project to explore my knowledge? I, I don't understand what you mean by real-time projects. Look, data is everywhere, my friend, like literally everywhere. Do you have a watch? Yes, you got data. You have activity, activity data. Do you have Spotify? Great, you've got listening data. Do you have one of these rings? Great, you have more activity data, sleep data. It is everywhere, right? Get that data and then do something with it. Like it, it's it's not it's not rocket science. Like you just get the data and you take what you do know and apply it to that data, right? Um, you have to you have to be you have to be a self starter in this, in data science, man. You have to be able to work with ambiguity and find a path forward more than anything, right? Like data science isn't one of these things where you have just a step by step roadmap that tells you go here, go here, go there, then make a left when you see the McDonald's and if you went past that, then you went too far, right? No, you have to have like a compass, right? And be able to navigate off that compass, right? So if there is any real-time project to explore your knowledge, yeah, data is everywhere. Find it. There's open data portals all over, right? Find some data and just start doing something, right? Obviously, you have to be able to formulate a good question. Otherwise, you're just doing shit analysis. You can't do anything without a good question. So ask a good question, Find data that's going to help you solve that question or make progress against that question and just execute. That's what you have to do. Shout out to everybody else on LinkedIn. What's up? I saw John Crone smash that heart. Keith McCormick, what's going on, my friend? Uh, super excited to see all you guys there. Uh, any other questions? Otherwise, we are going to begin to wrap it up. I don't see any questions here in the chat. Nope. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining in. Super excited to have all you guys here. Thanks, everybody, on LinkedIn for listening in. It's been great, man. Happy 4th of July. Hopefully you guys get some uh, some fireworks and, and stuff like that. We celebrated the 4th of July on July 1st in Canada. We call it Canada Day. It's weird. I don't know why. Uh, but take care, guys. Remember, you've got one life on this planet. Why not try to do something big? Cheers. Cheers.